it, it's great to see everybody. I, I, do, I really do hope that you had a good fair break. I hope that it was uh, restful in some ways and productive in, in some ways and healing in some ways. I'm sure that it was also busy and tiring in some ways. To, to remind you, to catch you up to where we are in the semester, we're going through the Psalms and a series that we're calling uh, Speaking to God. Uh, and we're calling it that because we serve a God, we believe in a God, we follow a God who speaks to us who has spoken to us. And it's actually with his voice, with his speaking, that he creates the world. And it's actually with his voice, with his speaking, that he guides his people. And it's actually his very speaking embodied, put on flesh, that Christ comes to us, the living word of God. And it's actually God speaking to us that we believe is happening with this book, the Bible. Uh, And if you're like me, then the idea of God makes some kind of sense. And wanting to follow God it appeals to my heart, but I don't really always know how to do it. I don't really know how I'm supposed to connect with him, how I'm supposed to follow him. And so in his goodness and his mercy, he gives us the Psalms as words for us to speak back to him. He actually gives us words to speak when we don't know what to say. And so tonight we're looking at Psalm 51, talking about speaking to God in the midst of the depth of our sin. How do we speak to God? So if you have your Bible or it's also on your handout, we're looking at Psalm 51. It'd be great if you could read along with me. Uh, the, the one other thing I'll say is that we, we don't always know uh, what the occasion for a psalm is, like why the author wrote it. And in this one we're told, it says at the top, to the choir master a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So we actually know what's going on here. If you want to read about this in the Bible, you can find it in, in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. Uh, David has just done the worst thing he's ever done in his whole life. He was peeking at a woman a married woman while she was bathing and he desired her so he took her and he slept with her and then to resolve the situation he sent her husband away to his death in war and then Nathan the prophet comes to him and confronts him so he's just been confronted he's just been busted in the most egregious most wicked most dark moment of his entire life and so it's out of that place that he writes this psalm Psalm 51 says this Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, 
A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion and your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. He gives it to us because he loves us. Pray with me and then we'll get started. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of this time. And thank you that you give us words to speak. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work through Psalm 51 right now so that we might love you more and love each other. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you remember the worst thing you ever did as a kid? I remember the worst thing I ever did as a kid. I was in fourth grade. I was hanging out with a friend named Patrick. And uh, we were at recess one day hanging out kind of on the edge of the playground with uh, some rocks and some batteries, as fourth grade boys will do. And uh, we decided that we we're going to break open these batteries to find out what's inside. And so we, we break open these batteries with rocks, and inside there's kind of, like some of it feels kind of chalky and powdery, and some of it's kind of oozy and granular liquid of some kind. I, I, I'm not a scientist, but here's what's happening inside batteries, okay? Here's how it makes a charge in your little, in your little Energizer Bunny battery that you have. You've got, you've got, I wrote it down here. You've got this potassium hydroxide, okay? Potassium hydroxide, it's like uh, this super caustic substance. It's what lye is made out of. So it's something that, like, causes you, like, burns, irritation, right? And then you've got this electrolyte. Another word for electrolyte is battery acid. It's sulfuric acid in water, okay? And so uh, there's this chemical reaction between the uh, potassium hydroxide and the battery acid, which is made from sulfuric acid, and it makes a charge. Power. Remote control cars, beauty, right? And so we're in fourth grade, and we decide, uh, I know what we'll do. We'll take this crazy battery acid that we have discovered, and we'll go to the outdoor water fountain at, next to the playground, and we'll, we'll put some around the edge of the water fountain. I have no idea why we did this. I, I, I don't think I was like, I hate everyone. <laughs> and I want to cause, like, whoever comes next to have incredible burns and rashes and scarring on their lips. I, I, don't, I was not thinking that. I wasn't really thinking I was a fourth grade boy, okay? But the inevitable happened, and as we are doing this like, horrific thing, we get, we get caught, we get busted. And uh, as sort of happens in school, depending on how bad the thing is, we sort of like went up the chain of command as far as discipline, and we end up in the principal, Mrs. Tate's office, sitting there waiting for our parents to arrive. And I remember uh, looking at Mrs. Tate, and she's just looking at us with this, this face of kind of disgust and disappointment and anger. And our heads are down. And I just remember, I just felt terrible. I felt embarrassed. I felt ashamed. I felt scared about what consequence I was, I was going to face. I felt the dread of when my mom brought me home and made me call my dad and explain to him what I had done. Like, I, I just felt dirty and nasty. Like, I can't believe that I did this. Do you you know that feeling? Uh, Of course you do. Some of us remember having this feeling as kids. Some of us had this feeling this past week on Fed Break, right? This is is that feeling when you, like, hook up with someone or kiss someone at a party that you weren't supposed to or that you didn't want to. This is how you feel the next day. This is that feeling when you cross that boundary with your boyfriend or your girlfriend that you promised yourself you would never cross. This is that feeling when your friend confronts you because they heard the nasty thing that you said about them to somebody else and they asked you about it. 
This is that feeling when you stumble again with something that you've been struggling with and fighting against for weeks or months or years that you can't seem to get over. This is that, this is that feeling. It's a feeling that we all know. And that's the feeling that David has in this moment. He's been busted in the most egregious, the most wicked, the most dark moment of his life. And so the question is, in that kind of place, in that kind of moment, how, how do we relate to God? How do we connect with God when that's how we feel? And that's what Psalm 51 is. It's words given to us to speak to God when that's where we are. And so uh, what, what, I wanna, what I wanna show tonight is, is this. There's, there's lots of things going on in this. I feel like we could spend a whole semester on Psalm 51, so I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna get to everything in here. So if you have questions about something I haven't answered, I haven't talked about, I, I hope you'll come talk to me. But I wanna, I wanna just say this, that praying Psalm 51 does three things. It makes us aware, it, it makes us want to be clean, and it makes us worship. It makes us aware, it makes us want to be clean. And it makes us worship. So first, Psalm 51 makes us aware. The, the first thing that it makes us aware of is the weight of our sin. It makes us aware of the, of the weight of our sin. And, and I feel like I need to stop here and kind of say this. Um, th- this. This part might not make sense if you're not a Christian. I'm sure not everyone here tonight is a Christian. So if, if you're not a Christian, I, I want you to understand what we mean when we say sin. And, and if you are a Christian, even if you've been one your whole life, I want to remind you what we mean uh, when we say sin. But sin only exists because of, because of the reality that your relationship with God is the most important thing about you. Your posture, your connection, your situation before God is the most important thing about you. That's the claim of the Bible. And, and, and what Christianity believes is that God created the world. He made it. He's the Lord of it. He's the king over all of it, including you and me. Which means that we are not just uh, out here in life doing our own thing. We actually belong to him. We are actually subjects of this king. We actually owe this king our allegiance and our obedience because he is God and because all of this world is his. And God has set forth, he has spoken to us the way the world is. And the way life is meant to be lived, and the way people are supposed to pursue life and relationships and everything, he's spoken this to us. And here's what sin is sin is looking into the face of the king and saying, No thanks. I do not want your rules, I do not want your ways, I do not want your virtues, I do not want your values. I want to do it my way. And it feels like no big deal. It feels like these are just personal decisions. But if God really is who he says he is, he really is the king, then we would reject his ways. We're committing treason. We're rejecting the ways of the king. And treason, as you know, is a capital offense. That's why sin is such a big deal. Sin is not a matter of right and wrong. And who's to say, really? Sin is a matter of there's a king. And you're either with him or you're not. And when we're not, in the places of our heart, we're committing treason. So every act of sin, every thought of sin, every word of sin, every desire of sin, is committing treason against the king. That's why it's such a big deal. That's what sin is, okay? And David is very aware of his sin. That's why he starts, have mercy. He knows he needs mercy in verse 1. He says in verse 3 that his sin is ever before me. 
He's constantly aware of all the ways that he is broken, of all the ways that he falls short, of all the ways that he is rejected and committed treason against the king. He says in verse 5 that he was born into sin. That's covered his entire story. He came into this world through sin. He says in verse 14 that he feels his blood guiltiness. What an intense word, blood guiltiness. That's so much guilt that it deserves to have your blood shed. And the core of this is what he says in verse 4 when he says this. Against you, God, you only have I sinned. And this is not to say that our, our sins against other people are unimportant. Or our sins don't affect other people. Of course, they always do. But that the most important thing about you is the way that you connect to your king, God. And an offense against him is the biggest problem that you have. So praying this psalm makes us aware. It re-reminds us of the condition that we have as sinful people. Uh, Some of you, as you hear this, I imagine, are painfully aware of this already. And that you might even feel like David feels right now. My sin is always before me. I'm overwhelmed with this sense of how messed up I am, of how broken I am. Some of you are feeling like that. And usually what we do is we either wallow in self-loathing or we distract ourselves. The easiest way to distract yourself from your sins are, you know what it is? It's to think about somebody else's sins. Yeah, sure, I did this, but at least I didn't do what that person's doing. At least I'm not as bad as those people over there. All of a sudden we feel a little bit better about ourselves. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are painfully aware of it. Uh, Others of you are like saying, yeah, I, I understand. I'm a sinner. Like no big deal, everybody is. And you're recognizing that there's a problem, but, but you're not really feeling your blood guiltiness. You're not really feeling the weight of your sin. You don't have the desperate urgency that David has here and that we see in, this, in these words that are given to us to speak to God. And you need to be reminded that your sin is a weighty thing because it's an act of treason against the king. And it's a capital offense. Uh, others of you are hearing this and you're thinking, uh, yes. I understand theologically that, like, technically, I'm a sinner. I understand that technically I'm not perfect because nobody is, but, like, I'm doing pretty good. And maybe, like, maybe you're a pretty good person. Maybe you're not getting drunk all the time. Maybe you're not having sex with random people. Maybe you're not betraying your friends and saying nasty things behind their back. Maybe you're working hard. Maybe you read your Bible every day and pray for an hour. Maybe you go to all the right things. Maybe you give your time away to help your friends when they're struggling. And the challenge for you is to remember that the posture towards God that is honest says, have mercy on me, O God. You've forgotten your blood guiltiness. That part of what's true about you is that your condition before God is one of sinfulness. is one of rejecting the king. I don't know know how aware you are, but that's what Psalm 51 reminds us. And the beauty of this psalm is that it doesn't just remind us of our sinfulness. It actually also reminds us of the mercy and the love and the goodness of God. He says in verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God. Why? According to your steadfast love. 
which is an incredible thing. Here's what this means. It means that David knows that even though he's just done the most wicked, the most egregious thing that he's ever done in his whole life, he knows that he still belongs to God because he knows that God's love is steadfast. You know what steadfast means? It means it's always there. It means it never runs out and never gives up and never changes and never fades away. That's verse 1. That's the starting point of this psalm. The steadfast love and mercy of God. That means that even in our evilness, we belong just like David did. And, and this is why he prays in verse 12. This is one of my favorite parts of the psalm. He says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. What does that mean? It reminds us of the truth of the gospel that God saves sinners. That's the gospel. God saves sinners. And our rejoicing, our hope comes in the fact not that we have got it together enough, not that we are good enough, but that God has saved us. And so we actually are called, we are led, even in our darkest moments, to ask God to give us joy. That even our dark moments are occasions for us to experience in a renewed way his mercy to us. That he still accepts us. That he still delights us. He still, he still loves us. Psalm 51 makes us aware, it re-reminds us of just how sinful we are and just how much God loves us, even in our darkest moments. That's the first thing. The second thing, praying Psalm 51 makes us want to be clean, makes us want to be clean. Uh, in January 2004, I went on a Knowles course during the January term at, at Wofford College, who's ranked 24th in the country in basketball, by the way. I went on this Knowles course. It's the National Outdoor Leadership School. Some, some of you guys know about this. It's a, it's a wilderness education and leadership uh, organization. And I, I went to, to Baja, California in Mexico for 23 days. And uh, so for 23 days, I was out in the desert. I had the best time of my life. For 23 days out in the sun, 23 days working, 23 days sweating, 23 days sleeping outside, 23 days no running water, 23 days no shower or shave, 23 days no actual toilet, right? And so uh, as you might imagine, at the end of 23 days, it's getting a little funky amongst the team, okay? And you get to that point where you kind of, you like built up a layer of greasiness that's now like your new normal. It's like you're kind of numb to it until you encounter somebody else's layer, and then you're very, very aware of it. And uh, we we get back on on day 23, uh, back to kind of the base camp, and there's these rudimentary showers. It's not nice showers, but it's one of those things where it's like in a bag that's been heated by the sun, and there's real soap. And I'm freaking out because I want to shower so bad. Because I can just feel the, like I had for 23 days, two T-shirts and one long-sleeve shirt. And I just like alternated and when it got nasty, I would just leave it out overnight. It would dry, and then you would just like, wear it when it was time. Okay? I, I just couldn't wait to take a shower. Uh, one of the things uh, that's interesting about where we were is that it was a, a, a government-protected wilderness refuge area, which means that you, could, you can't leave anything out in the wilderness in this area, nothing at all. And I mean, like, nothing at all. So not only does that mean, of course, that we are not leaving our trash in the wilderness, but that means that uh, even when you had to go to the bathroom, you could not, like, dig a hole in the sand and leave it there and so we had these things called wag bags. And, and a wag bag is uh, it's about, it's like this. It's a little biodegradable plastic bag with basically kitty litter in it. 
And um, when you had to go, you had to go in this bag, okay? You guys hanging with me? We would go in this bag. And then you sort of tie off the bag, and then you would put it in these, we had these big kind of canvas, uh, like neoprene duffel bags that we would keep these in, in the desert sun for 23 days in biodegradable bags. And we would sort of keep them as far away as possible. And as you can imagine that by uh, day 23 in the sun, they had sort of started to biodegrade. And um, if you thought we were funky, you cannot imagine what was going on in these bags, okay? <laughs> and we get back to, to base camp, and uh, we're desperate to take a shower, and our instructors are like, here's the deal. The person who uh, cleans out the wag bags gets first shower. And I'm so desperate that I'm like, I will do it. So i got to take these neoprene bags, and i got to, uh, I'll try to say it politely, empty them and clean them, okay? With my hands, y'all. And, um, and, so, and so I do this, and I, and I, get, I, I was just that desperate to get clean, okay? That, that's what David is feeling, so desperate to be clean. And, and, you, and you know this feeling, too, that, that, that part of being a sinner is that you know that you're guilty and you want to be forgiven. But there's something else, too, right? There's something that even when we acknowledge that we've been forgiven, we just feel nasty. We just feel foul. We just feel dirty. We just feel like something is still on us. Do you know what I'm talking about? And, 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 and David gives us words for that too. And the words are, wash me, clean me, purge me and wash me and I will be white as snow. Create in me a, a clean heart, oh God. You're not feeling when you've when you stumbled again, when you struggled again, and the next day, like, you don't really feel like going to church. You don't really feel like reading your Bible. You don't really feel like going to RUF. You don't really, you just feel like you're kind of too nasty. He gives us words to speak so that when you feel like that, we can cry out to God, create in me a clean heart. Wash me so that I can be white as snow. That's what we need to pray to God when we feel dirty. When we feel corrupt and we feel that foulness. That the language that that Paul uses here, wash me, it, it, it's like a foul piece of clothing that needs to be laundered. Like that's what our souls can feel like. And, and the thing that I love about the Christian walk is that uh, this psalm is given to us, but this psalm is not a psalm of despair. And this is really important because I don't know how you're feeling right now as we as we talk about your sin. This is not a psalm of despair. The point of this psalm is not to make you feel bad about yourself. That's not it. And even though God leads us into feeling the weight of our sin, it's important for us to do that. And even though he leads us into into feeling the foulness of our hearts and our minds and our bodies because of our sin, it's not a psalm of despair. Do Do you know why? It's because the answer to these prayers... The answer to the prayer, blot out my transgressions. The answer to the prayer, create in me a clean heart, O God, is an overwhelming and eternal yes in Jesus. God says, yes. We say, blot out my transgressions. Colossians 2.14 talks about the, the record of debt. That's our guiltiness, that he cancels it, nailing it to the cross. That is the cross of Jesus. It is your sins being blotted out, erased from a document, taken away. How far has he removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west? He's taken it away. 
Because that blood guiltiness has been satisfied, but not by your blood, but by Jesus' blood. And that desire to be clean, create in me a clean heart, wash me, make me white as snow. The answer is yes in Jesus, whose blood washes you, it covers you, it sprinkles you. So that even in the midst of your darkest, most evil, most wicked moment, when God sees you, you are white as snow. Some of you do not, do, do not feel like you are white as snow, do you? I know you don't. You are white as snow. You are clean. You are washed. You are purged. You are made whole because of Jesus. And so Psalm 51 points to that and makes us worship. That's the right response is that we worship He says this, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. That's a prayer. Lord, even though I feel dirty, even though I feel guilty, open up my lips. Let me praise you because you have saved me in Christ. And and we see two kinds of worship here. that's, That's the first kind. The first kind of worship is that we declare to God and to others. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. We declare to God and to others, not that we've got it together, not that we're good enough, that we're forgiven, that we've been made clean, that we've been made whole because of Jesus. And then the second way of worship is, is what you read in verse 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God, I mean the right way to worship God is this. A broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. I mean, that's what God wants from you, a broken and contrite heart. And when you see broken, this is not broken hearted. This is broken of pride. This is broken of vanity. This is broken of thinking that you're just fine. This is broken of thinking that you're better than everyone else. That's what you're broken of. Contrite equals humility. A contrite heart is one that at the same time knows exactly what it deserves. My sin is ever before me. It feels the weight of its blood guiltiness. At the one hand, it knows exactly what it deserves. And on the other hand, at the same time, it knows exactly how much it's been given to the love of Christ. It knows exactly what it deserves and it knows exactly what it's been given. That kind of heart is defined by not pride, by not judgment of others, but by gratitude. By love and thankfulness towards God and by looking at everyone else around you. And on this campus, you live in a small world. You know what everything, you know what's going on with people. You know who's struggling with what. You see it, right? A contrite heart does not say, thank goodness I'm better than those people over there. A contrite heart seeks to love because it knows, like everyone else, where you stand before God apart from Christ. And it knows exactly how good it is to stand hidden with Christ and the love and the mercy that is poured out on us. It is the awe that comes when we know that he loves us with all our baggage, with all our damage, with all our mistakes, with all our weaknesses, with all our blind spots. My, 
my favorite children's book, you've probably heard me talk about this before, is The Sneetches by Dr. Seuss. It's Dr. Seuss week at Waddell Elementary when my kids go. So it's my shout out to Dr. Seuss. Uh, and, and The Sneetches, I'm not going to go into the whole story, which I can almost recite by memory. It's about this uh, type of large, kind of weird-looking, tall, angular bird that lives on the beaches called Sneetches. And uh, the star belly Sneetches have bellies with stars, but the plain belly Sneetches have none upon stars. And so some Sneetches have stars on their bellies and some don't. That's the story. And if you don't have a star, you are less than. If you don't have a star, you're weak. If you don't have a star, you're an outcast. If you don't have a star, you're a loser. If you don't have a star, you feel like David feels at the beginning, overwhelmed by the weight of your story. And one day this stranger rolls up named Sylvester McMonkey McBean, and he sets up this contraption. And he says, friends, you want stars like a star belly sneech where you can have them for just $3 each. And so they, they go through this machine, and when they come out, they have stars. They actually do. They have stars upon stars. They've got stars on their bellies, like that, for $3. Just go through the machine, they got a star. And I'm, I'm fascinated by this idea that we can just be changed in an instant. And, of course, for the sneeches, this does not solve our problems. But, but I was thinking about this because I'm, I'm like, is the gospel really that simple? Can, are we just given a star? I think it's really that simple. I think that when we come to Christ, he says, take a star. Take 50 stars. I love you. When we come to Christ, we're transformed. And this renewing, this creating a clean heart, renewing of the spirit, it it happens to us instantaneously through our faith in Christ. And then he works it out in us. He renews us. He applies his mercy to us. He forgives us through our whole life. And it doesn't cost us $3. It's free. Because Jesus has paid for it. Jesus has paid for your star. So that you know what God says when he looks at you? He doesn't shake his head. He doesn't wag his finger. You know what he says? Well done, my good and faithful servant. I see your star. That everything true about Christ is true about you before God. Because he shed his blood for you. So when you are feeling overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, I want you to pray Psalm 51. Have mercy, O God, according to your steadfast love. And I don't want you to remember that his love never ends. His mercies never cease. They never run dry. And when you're feeling dirty and corrupt, I want you to pray, Lord, wash me. Purge me so that I might be white as snow. And that when you say that, even in the darkest thing you can imagine, God's answer is yes. I will. I have. He wants to lead us to feel the weight of these things because he longs for us to experience again and anew every time the joy of salvation that comes through the love of Christ. Let's pray. Father, it it sounds too good to be true that you just give us a star, that you just change us, that you just renew us, that you just heal us, that you just forgive us. Or give us the, the humility to feel and to be led through the weight of our sinfulness and our foulness because it's honest. But prevent us from despair, from self loathing, or from ignoring it, and restore to us the joy of our salvation that Jesus came to save sinners that in our darkest moments we still belong to you and you belong to us and you've covered us. 
Thank you for that, Lord. Please encourage us in that in the midst of the the place that we're feeling the weight of our brokenness right now. In Jesus' name, amen.